Hello everyone, just give me a moment to get through the plugs uh, quickly. Listener Josh Morrow is running a beginner's tournament, which is a single course set only in Berkeley, California, at a new local game cafe called Victory Point. The event will be on November 4th, with competitive play starting at 6pm. Uh, we really get behind these kind of ideas, especially new players, uh, beginner, beginner events like this, trying to brew the community and get everyone together. That's fantastic, so big props to Josh. Uh, secondly, we want to talk about our Patreon. So with your support, we'll be able to produce more video content and run more innovative tournaments with varied prize support and invest in the equipment and prizes to make these initiatives even better than before. Um, so if you guys support us on Patreon, it will mean that we can offer this improved content to the whole community and we appreciate that support more than we can tell you. By supporting us through Patreon, you will be contributing in a small but meaningful way to allow us to deliver deliver and build on our vision for a community-driven, competitive-focused Netrunner content. Um, so if you want to help us out there and you like our content, you'd like to see us do more things and you like the YouTube videos that we're doing now, you can jump on and support us on patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. Lastly, we have one more week before we announce the winners of our read-only memories Steam Key giveaway competition. So if you want to hear a topic, a debate topic perhaps, a question that you have or something you'd like to hear discussed on the show, shoot us an email and uh, let us know that it's for the read-only memories competition in the subject line and you could win yourself a copy of read-only memories. Also, if you want to see what the game's all about, check out our YouTube channel where you can see a video of myself doing a Let's Play. There's two videos actually I highly recommend watching the second one with myself and judge tom daniel it is hilarious if i do say so myself thanks so much guys enjoy this week's episode of twa good evening and welcome to episode 56 of the winning agenda tonight our panelists include runner-up for both the 2014 melbourne regionals and the 2014 australian nationals liam prasad hey there 2015 regional champion and 2015 Australian Nationals top 8 competitor, Wilfie Horrig. 2014 Australian National champion and 2014 World's top 16 competitor, Hello. Jesse Marshall. And I'm your host, Brian Holland. We are here with our second part of the Data and Destiny card highlight, starting with, starting with, finishing with, the runner's side. So the first card we're talking about is Apex Invasive Predator. Identity, digital, link 0, deck 45, influence 25. You cannot install non-virtual resources, when your turn begins, you may install one card from your grip face down. An interesting ability which obviously synergizes with a lot of Apex's cards, but just on paper, what do we think? Ooh, not being able to play non-virtual resources is um, a big deal, especially when your faction is small. Um, a lot of the best neutral resources are going to be you know, daily cast, Earthrise Hotel. They're, they're physical, they're not virtual. So look, there, there won't be an access point there. Uh, 25 influence might not be enough to cover that in traditional means, but I think uh, what we'll see coming up in the rest of the uh, the cards, the Apex cards, is that uh, the way Apex is designed to work is fundamentally different from other runners. And, and so on paper, doesn't really apply here, I think. Yeah, I think one of the difficulties with Apex's ability engaging its power level is that when you're installing cards face down, they're going to be food for his icebreaker, which we'll get to a little bit later, um, and some of his other... Uh, Apex is an it. Sorry, they're going to be food for its icebreaker um, and other cards, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, and that sort of makes you think, well, how far can you stretch this resource, which is the cards in your deck, until you're you know, exhausting it um, and you're going to run out of it because when you're fueling your ability to get into servers with a resource that's finite it seems on the face of it to be a bit worse than using credits, which are essentially infinite. But as we've seen with Faust, 
the ability to turn cards into access to servers and things like that um, can be extremely powerful. So gauging exactly where Apex fits on that scale is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, and also um, the face-down cards are f- resources for other cards as well, not just the, the yeah. icebreaker. So I think you definitely need to play uh, other icebreakers in this deck, which is, again, a problem with the influence. Uh, so the first uh, Apex card is Apocalypse Event Cost 3, Influence 3. Play only if you made a successful run on HQ, R&D, and Archives this turn. Trash all installed corp cards. Turn all installed runner cards face down. So this is uh, what we call a Wrath of God. Uh, so, Jesse, we were talking a little bit before the show about uh, you wondering what a Wrath of God in this game would look like. I've only been hit by Apocalypse twice. It happened in the same game. First time i think i had one ice on r&d which was like an architect which was resed i had maybe an adonis campaign and my opponent did this on maybe turn two didn't feel great it was fine like i lost a resed architect and a resed adonis campaign so there was a bit of a tempo swing wait there. they trashed my your resed architect but it can't be trashed can't be. oh fuck well it was something like i'm not sure if it was architect right, no, so there we go. there's a limitation on the apocalypse straight up it can't trash architects yeah and, it was uh, some sort of permissible yeah ice. Anyway, sorry i'm not sure if maybe jinteki just yeah, got I think me might anyway. have just got you but anyway yeah, yeah maybe just got me yeah okay well unfortunately so yeah can't tra- trash uh can't trash architect which is great it's fantastic um didn't really do anything on their end they also did it to me again later in the game when i had about i don't know five or six assets and a bunch of ice on a bunch of servers and i pretty much just lost the game yeah i think while it might seem not that powerful to in general in a game be expending your resources to do what seems like as much damage to yourself as to your opponent the power obviously is that you can determine when it happens so those sorts of symmetrical effects can be really powerful the added bonus that this card has is that it doesn't trash all of your installed cards it just turns them all face down um and given that you can determine when it happens to it to an extent you do need to get into all servers which is probably the biggest problem with the card but putting that aside you can determine when it happens um and you can make sure that you have things like icebreakers and other cards you need to play again in your hand at the time when you play it so that it doesn't do as much damage to your tempo as it does to theirs Um, and in terms of what it actually with the upside of it the damage you do to your opponent um, being able to trash even a handful of res dice um, and a couple of res cards in remote servers can be extremely damaging to a corp and is the sort of power level of effect that we haven't really seen before. So I'm quite excited for this card. Also, uh, trashing all, uh, turning all the installed runner cards face down if you're playing Apex isn't as huge a tempo swing as you still have a lot of things to do with those cards, which is handy. Uh, the next card is Prey. It's an event. Run. Cost zero. Influence two. Make a run. Once during this run, when you pass a piece of ice, you may trash a number of your installed cards equal to the strength of that ice. If you do, trash that ice uh shilzy what do you think very much comparable to parasite here in the same way the parasite trash uh, well is, is it more comparable to the um cutlery suite uh i mean it's it's somewhere in between hey like you you do need to break the ice yeah. but you also need to sacrifice a number of resource uh based on the amount of strength which is what you do with parasite and uh virus counters so it, it is somewhere in between there um parasites you know obviously very powerful the silverware has proven to be less powerful than we initially thought but if prey tips towards the parasite side it still will be very strong and you know thinking about this and the noise builds that do play asops and lots of viruses if they on the turn spill out too many viruses and want to trash ice rather than sell them to asop 
that's something you can do with that. You can use Prey to do that. If you do land an Apocalypse and you have a bunch of face-down cards, you can continue to Prey on that ice. And if you want to take down a Which will keep you to, in the game. Which yeah. will keep you in the game. And yeah, if you want to take down a server to set up for your Apocalypse, Prey will also help you do that. So it seems like a very flexible card in uh, Apex's general strategy. Yeah, in Anarch, if you... I think outside of Anarch, most people would splash Parasite before this. But in Anarch, if you want your Parasite 4, 5, and 6... Uh, I think you would play this over Silverware a lot of the time because it hits any ice type, whereas Silverware, part of the problem we found with it is choosing the right balance is really difficult when you're designing your deck between the three cards um, to combat the ice that your opponent's going to have. This doesn't have that problem. I'm still not convinced that I would ever play this outside of Apex. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I could trash a relevant number of uh, my installed cards. Even two or three is a huge amount in installed cards, particularly if your installed cards are things that you paid for that presumably you but want to do things. But zero is not a huge amount. In order and to... there are a lot of ice that have well, sh- zero. Sure, but then you just break them with your breakers, right? Why do you need this card? Because it's far more efficient to kill ice than continually break it with your breaker. Yeah. Well, what, what's a zero cost ice that you'd want to get through? A brother turret. What's a zero cost? Quandary. Pop-up window? Sure, if you think that's worth the two. Yeah, maybe, when, I, I just you, think Parasite's far more flexible. It's when you piece of ice, right? So... That you only have to break yeah. it if it's got an end the run. If it doesn't have an end the run, you just pass it, right? And then you walk you, through you, it. Yeah, you or walk through it and you prey upon it. Um, and also uh, down down the pack here, we'll see the card Harbinger, which is only worth one influence. So we could also see Harbinger in Anarx quite readily. Um, being able to trash it twice to Ace Ops is quite a good deal. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, I think there could be some sort of. It works very well with Data Sucker as well. So there could be some sort of deck that uh, combines this with the regular data like a parasite is sort of extra copies yeah there you go Brian you can yeah I think the card's good I'm, I'm, I'm still not sold on it but we'll yeah, see I how guess it, it has the same yeah. interaction with data sucker as parasite does uh, the next card is heartbeat it's apex's console install 2 influence 3 plus or memory it has the ability trash an installed card prevent 1 damage so this is sort of an inbuilt just damage plus group protection if you've got a lot of installed cards um, it's power level dips and sways depending on how many installed cards you have and how much damage you're expecting to take it certainly seems very important to the strategy um not being up one thing we'll see from apex is that uh subroutines that don't specifically say the phrase end the run quite difficult to deal with so apex will have trouble especially with uh the breaker at four memory without having something like a mimic around apex will have significant trouble with cards like neural katana that no other runner really has had trouble with um, until uh, you find a memory and, and or until you have a way to start preventing that damage. Uh, so, look, I think Heartbeat is... Uh, I've played like maybe four or five games against Apex at this point, and um, Heartbeat has always been at the core of that strategy. Uh, simply being memory in, um, in Faction is also quite a big deal because not having to pay for Dyson Memchip is uh, relevant. And any other console, any other way to get memory would cost you influence so they're going to go together like uh like lamb and tuna fish like lamb and tuna like surf and turf the next card is the one shields he's been alluding to endless hunger program icebreaker install zero memory four strength 11 influence two it has the ability trash an installed card break end the run subroutine i'm not sure what to think of this card yet so i'd love to hear what you I guys think it's think. extremely powerful it's not without its drawbacks no. um right. four memory yeah. is a lot um but as shilzy said if you can supplement it with one other one memory program using your console i think that's actually quite a strong rig the fact that it's zero to install and that you're using mm, a resource other than credits to break end the run subroutines 
means that you can be quite aggressive, as we've seen Faust allow you to do. Here's, here's my thing. We say we can use it to be aggressive, but if presumably the only way you have of putting your installed cards in is like both through playing cards that, again, like I said earlier, you presumably want to have in play for reasons or for using Apex's ability at the start of turn, you can quickly run out of those resources or go down to almost like a top deck kind of mode when you're just installing a res- uh, installing a face down card at the start of your turn, which makes this thing not as good. So that makes me feel like sure. it's more of a later game type card that you might want to use being later when you've got lots of them. and you can mean running multiple times in a turn, though. Being aggressive just means uh, being able to be proactive very, very early. Um, yeah, so like on turn three or four, sure. you've naturally yeah. got four face down cards. Well, and that's if... On turn sure. one, you yeah. can break it in the run on HQ or you can break it in the run on R&D uh, unless they have two pieces of ice there. And I, I just, I, I don't think I've ever seen two pieces of ice on one server on, on turn one. We might after DDoS gets gets a bit more maybe, maybe just yeah um <laughs> yeah so i i think the uh it, it has so to, yeah endless hunger and uh by extension apex with the wrong supplementary program can never break a tsurugi because or a data pike and the run sub yeah or a data pike or uh, a tracer that ends the run with a trace because the subroutine says something more than that so yeah it's pretty specific but it doesn't it's strength 11 good though. Doing That's so much. uh the next card is harbinger it's a program install zero memory zero influence one when harbinger is trashed install it face down instead of adding it to your heap so basically this is just food for apex and its, and, uh, its cards uh which i imagine will be a three of in any apex deck you could probably play it with aesops if you wanted to i've seen it i don't think it's being spiced yeah. outside yeah uh, uh I, I think it lacks the uh the virus subtype um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which kind of sucks a bit because Apex is, you know, a virus. So there's some. So if uh, the Harbinger is like a, an offshoot or a spawn of Apex, there's there's some bad flavor going on there. But obviously, like, yeah, yeah. You, you do need to limit its power against um, noise mill, which you know, design. It's having a zero combo. cost. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zero but memory. Um, thing when you're already playing pretty, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The card, the card's comboy. Um, and its power level is going to be determined by whatever combos it goes in, right? And that 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 combo will have to be assessed as a larger group. But obviously, like having tools to do that kind of thing is incredibly important because otherwise the combo wouldn't exist. So it's going to be you're going to start seeing it in lots of places, but uh, not generally. It's not going to be seen without a shell. The next card is Hunting Grounds, which I think is very splashable. Uh, resource location virtual install two influence one. Once per turn, prevent a when encountered ability on a piece of ice, and you can trash it to install the top three cards of your stack face down. So as as we say sometimes, that second ability is just gravy. I think we're in this for the first ability. Um, what do you guys think? I really, I, I really like it. One thing about this card annoys me, and that is that up until now, only bypass abilities, which are very few and far between, have allowed you to get around on encounter abilities, and that's been the power of them. So having another way to just stop unencountered abilities just sort of annoys me. But um, that is because it's quite good. So yeah, being able to supplement your Icebreaker Suite with the ability to also stop a toll booth once a turn from taxing you um, is very good. So I, yeah. Well, that said, even when you are stopping the toll booth, you still have to break a five strength code yes, gate. So it needs to supplement the so, Icebreakers. Yeah. And the downside is obviously that your opponent actually has to be playing cards that have when encounter abilities. So at the moment, there aren't enough of those 
for this to see play, I don't think. Yeah, which I think if you're playing it in Apex is why it has the second yes. ability, which makes it much better. It's, that second ability is not as relevant, I think, I outside. think that second ability uh, is I, actually I would, the primary reason to play it in Apex. I, I would never have the stones to use that second ability in any other faction but Apex. I think that there would be one situation in which I would play it outside of Apex or a dedicated ASOPs list. Power and that is down. if, uh, not just power shutdown, but that that didn't come to mind. I think Actually, it's a resource. Actually, it doesn't work because it's not a... It's not a hardware or program. And they're not yep. programmed. There you go. Yep, forget um, that. But the, uh, the fellow, the new MBN fellow that trashes uh, a program if you have a tag. Hunting Grounds will Lane. allow you to bypass Keegan Lane. So if they, if, if they have Keegan Lane, Hunting Grounds will allow you to avoid the tag on Dada Raven. Uh, alternatively, you could always play Dorm Computer, which is also one influence and more aggressively costed yeah i think that the second mode really is the primary mode just because you can't um guarantee that the first mode will be useful every game but i think the second mode is almost worth a card by itself since you really do need some way to kickstart your engine if you're going to be using face down cards as a resource the next card is wasteland it's a resource location virtual install two, influence two. the first time each turn you trash one of your installed cards gain one uh so obviously you've Fairly niche. Uh, actually, Chilzy, are you going to put this in your guys' deck? Uh, I did see it in the guys' deck. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. I wasn't hugely impressed. Seems pretty good in multiples in Apex, though. Yeah, it's yeah, not like, it's not um, it. unique. That's no. a decent you, you want credit economy. And that's why. Yeah. I don't well, I suppose the argument action. is, if you're playing it in Apex, presumably with uh, uh, Endless Hunger, which, as we said, is a Faust-like ability, what, do you need a lot of money for? Other things that you want to do to supplement it. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, like you might want to yeah, play Crystal, sure. or who knows. Yeah. Okay, sure. Or you might want to play right. uh, the rest of your Wastelands out, and you need to do it. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> or to, to chain your hunting grounds, or to play your inside jobs to get through Tsurugis, or to, you know, um, play your woman in the red dress so you can know when to start trashing your entire board. Uh, the next faction, uh, Adam Compulsive Hacker. Identity, Bioroid, Link 0, Deck 45... Influence 25. You start the game with three directive cards installed. These cards are not considered part of your deck. Shall I just read over those quickly? Yeah, let's do those. They are fairly relevant. This guy's a nasty piece of work, hey? He's a nasty guy. So the first directive is always be running. Your first click each turn must be spent to make a run or play a run event. Once per turn, you can spend two clicks to break a subroutine on a piece of ice currently being encountered. Uh, Neutralize all threats. The first time each turn you access a card with a trash cost, you must trash it by, by, by paying its trash cost if able. When you access cards from HQ, access one additional card. Uh, safety first. Your maximum hand size is reduced by two. When your turn ends, draw one card. If you do not have more cards in your grip equal to or greater than your maximum hand size. You start the game with all of these cards in play. And one of the really big problems that I have with Adam is that he pulls you in two different directions. So always be running forces you to be aggressive in the purest sense of the word in that you are literally making it run every turn um, and it gives you a benefit for doing that in that you can break one subroutine essentially per turn for just by spending clicks so that's very good early in the game it allows you to land early siphons it allows you to utilize the power of neutralize all threats which lets you see two cards in hq so early if you can get into hq early you are putting a lot of pressure on them because you've essentially got an HQ interface and if they do have any agendas in there, you're very likely to be able to get them out in the first couple of turns, which is really good. But then you also have safety first, which I really cannot understand as a card, like why this is the third directive. It's so underpowered. Reducing your maximum hand size by two anyway is, is a bad thing. 
going down to three is never a good number to have as a maximum hand size when you're a runner um, with scorched earth in the game. But when you're also being forced to make a run every turn, you would presume going to be successful every now and then, you're turning on the other half of that combo. So you're just making yourself so susceptible to getting killed early, and the upside of safety first is so minimal that I think that card alone sort of wrecks the whole suite in a sense i like i think always be running is is okay but the other two are really not that good like they like that like the the drawbacks definitely outweigh the benefits in my opinion uh, there are a few conditions in which you can get around that though there is dr lovegood in faction um, oh we'll, we'll talk about those right yeah sure 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 we'll, we'll, let's talk about dr lovegood now because i think he is rel- really okay, relevant so, to the switch uh, so we'll talk about dr lovegood first so dr lovegood is a two cost resource connection install to influence one when your turn begins choose one of your installed cards the text box of that card is blank for the remainder of the turn yeah so um the way dr lovegood really really works with this suite here is that um it lets you turn off the most relevant negative effect for, for the turn. So if you want more clicks for the turn, you can turn off always be running and not have to spend that first click on a run. Um, presumably, if you're not running, you won't need that uh, uh, Byroid-esque uh, ice break either. So that's that's absolutely fine. If you want to uh, turn off the neutralize all threats to check a few remote servers, that's something you can do as well. And if you're checking remote servers, well, you're not going to be checking uh, HQ. So that's absolutely fine as well. Um, and if you're really, really concerned about Scorched, you can turn off, almost ironically, you can turn off Safety First. And by turning off Safety First, at the end of your turn, your man- minimum hand you can size is safer. not decreased by two. So you can you can yeah. end the turn with four cards in hand. You won't draw up that card, so you're going to have to end the turn with four cards in hand because it, it's not going to trigger itself. But Dr. Lovegood also has a lot of synergies with cards outside of the faction if you do just want to let all of these directives run. And one way I've seen uh, in my foray into Jintekinet is Adam with Drug Dealer. And the way that works is that Dr. Lovegood turns off Drug Dealer anytime uh, you're not turning off something else. And turning off Drug Dealer on your turn means you're not losing a click. Uh, sorry, not losing the credit from Drug Dealer. Uh, but because it triggers in your opponent's turn, it's back on by that point so you still draw a card but you're not losing a click so dr lovegood looks like a pad campaign or looks like a symmetric visage in that circumstance but the other thing there is that ending your turn with two cards in hand then draws you a card with safety first and then draws you a card with drug dealer bringing you back up to four um and this is just the worst case scenario for adam i think um being on a maximum hand size of three for the entire game because I think he's the, the way these directive works on turn one I don't think is how he's going to look for the entirety of the game and the rest of the cards in the faction uh, will allow us to build on that well when we say the rest of the cards in the faction there's like two more I know but they're, they're two really relevant cards that, right? that's my concern so the next card is independent thinking uh, uh, it's an event cost one influence one trash up to five of your installed cards draw one card for each card trashed, or two cards for each card trashed if you trashed at least one directive. So this is similar to Dr. Lovegood. This is just going to turn off one of your directives automatically. If they didn't have that directive text on there and you're just trashing some cards to draw some cards, uh, is this still worth playing? Uh, it's okay. It it's got synergy with Apex. Yeah. Like, it's obviously got synergy with Apex cards, with Apocalypse. Yeah. But the rate is not very good. Like except unless when you the rate's not remove good. a directive and if you're removing a directive why do you even have these directives in your deck since that's literally the only benefit of Adam yes that is the big question that is the thing so as yes. we were saying earlier um, Brian you, you were saying yeah you, you can say your thing yeah. oh so basically my, my concern is um, with Adam in general uh, you're playing it the idea ability gives you these three directives in play 
Uh, so that's three of Adam's faction cards. And then you've got two cards in Independent Thinking and Dr. Lovegood. Uh, Dr. Lovegood does have some upside, as Shields just pointed out, which basically are there to deal with the downside of your identity. So then I ask you, outside of that, if you've only got the uh, Brainship Console and Multithreader, which we'll talk about in a moment, why are you playing this ID? When those other two cards, uh, Brainship and Multithreader, if you really like them, you can play in an ID that doesn't give you all this drawback that you have to then deal with by playing further bad cards like... Um, public sympathy for instance like I just I'm not really sure where they're going with Adam I would have really liked to see uh, like a fourth directive so you can really have a few different combinations there or something and it disappoints me that when we're not going to see another Adam card until after the Mumbat cycle yeah I think it is really important to recognize that um, in the in the case of the worst case situation uh, as a runner if you are Adam your worst case situation is significantly worse than every other runner's worst case situation like every other runner's worst case situation <laughs> is just that you're blank and you have no cards in hand and nothing on board and if you're Adam uh, you don't even have that you also have some more downsides that you're laden with I, th- I think that there are also lots of situations which we, we, we could discuss big upsides to being Adam yeah I was just gonna say I think that like the whole idea of needing to have a drawback for these directives is just ridiculous since they're the only ability that Adam gets at all. Like, one thing they could have had was just, like, maybe two of the cards be straight upside and one of them be a drawback if if, two, if they thought that was going to be too powerful. And then that powerful. would make and Dr. Then Love you... good and independent thinking actually better. Yeah, exactly right. That's what I was going to say. Because then you can turn off the bad one and that's like, sweet, well, now I'm all good to go. You know, if it was <clears> just... Uh, say if you just had the upsides of two of those things like at the end of your turn you draw a card and at the end uh, you can spend two clicks to break a subroutine yeah. and then I, you have I a third card the, which uh, is just all bad but you- I, I think the one that makes the situation the worst at the moment is safety first right yeah safety first is just so bad yeah yeah which brings us yeah. to the console. Yes. Uh, so, brain chip, hardware console, install 2, influence 3, plus X memory. Your maximum hand size is increased by X X is equal to the number of agenda points you have. Uh, very sketchy looking on paper, but I think Shilsey summed it up pretty nicely for us uh, earlier when we were talking. So, Shilsey? So, just as the situation is an apex, because you don't really have any in-faction uh, way of getting memory aside from your console, I think it's incredibly important that Adam's console provides m- potentially more than one memory. Um, the only other console that provides more than one memory is, I think, uh, Box E and... Uh, oh, actually, Grimoire as well, and, and um, Monolith. Brain Trip also provides you with uh, ex- extra maximum hand size, so it's boxy-esque in that regard. But the thing is, it's it's significantly cheaper, and it can scale much higher. And uh, so in, this, in my mind, makes me want to talk about Adam, not as so much being in this really bad situation for the entire game, but being in an early game state that he then tra- transitions out of because of Brain Chip. So with brain chip in play, you get to increase your maximum hand size quite a lot, um, even just by scoring a two-point agenda, um, which is not outside reason in most matchups. Like, I don't think I've been... I think it's very rare that you see a runner game or a game come to a conclusion in which the runner actually has zero points. And so I think that this console is almost always going to be turned on past the early turns, simply because of Adam's very, very strong early game abilities. And then once you're in that position... uh, the downsides of safety first are negated by just simply having extra hand size, and safety first becomes all upside from there. So in that sense, safety first is both incredibly high variance, obviously, but turns from one of your worst uh, directives into, I think, your best directive. Yeah, so one of the really good things about that 
scenario that you just laid out there, Shilzy, is that you often don't need extra memory until the middle of the game, which is the period when you're most likely to have scored at least a couple of points. So then the console is really good value in the memory side. The problem that I have with it is that that maximum hand size issue with safety first is really important in probably the first six to eight turns of the game, particularly given that your game plan is so aggressive with always be running. So I'm not sure about, you know, the... um, the idea that you have to have the brain chip in play and steal an agenda before you're negating safety chip, safety first downside. Um, I, that's one of the issues that I have with brain chip. But on the memory side, I definitely think that they've got the balance right. I think that there is... Um, I think that you have a good chance of either having a Dr. Lovegood or a drug dealer or a brain chip and a, and a point by like turn six. If, if you're playing enough of it and you enough of any of these cards um, and, and just speaking to that... Uh, a memory boost like if you can get a large memory boost online we have a program which allows you to utilize extra memory very very proactively and that is overmind and um so i think one really good way you could build adam is to play overmind and to play uh siphon go to town yeah go to town like it doesn't really take much yeah. more <laughs> when you score points you get to drop your next overmind and guess what it's bigger because now you have more memory but could you also not just play brain chip and overmind in any other id and i actually have a feeling that if you did that you might actually not be able to make a deck because you wouldn't have enough cards in faction and splashable you mean in yeah so Adam? if you played siphons because oh. oh, okay. <laughs> they're four influence yeah Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Well, we do have uh, another card in Adam, which no, I actually quite like. Multi- Obviously, you Obviously, could make a deck, but you just have to play these garbage neutral cards that you don't want to. But anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> for the internet, yeah. Uh, multi-threader, program, install three, memory one, influence one. It has two recurring credits. Use these credits to pay for using programs. Um, it's one influence, so very special. I quite like this card. Um, what do you guys think of it inside of Adam? Obviously, Shilzy, you were talking about getting surplus memory with brain chips, so this can sort of take those up works there. Works well with that overmind. Oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, works yeah? really well with that. Um, works well both with the console and the overmind. Also, it's one influence. Uh. I-, I think it's one of the runner cards that will make the most impact out of this box. Um, it-, it works really well in a lot of runners. It does a lot of the same things that the Stealth Suite does. It does what Cyberfeeder does for noise, but in a more efficient way and in a more powerful way. The, the issue with it, obviously, is finding the memory, but in decks that are able to find the memory, I think it's going to give runners a lot of uh, legs to be consistently making runs. To always be running, if you will. Yeah. Okay, the last runner ID and runner mini faction for Data and Destiny is Sunny LeBeau, security specialist. She's an identity, natural, link to, deck 50, influence 25. And that is it. She has two link um, so obviously this is an interesting ability, um, which is supplemented uh, by a lot of her cards, which I think are some of the, the better uh, mini faction cards in this box. What do you guys think of her just as an ID, straight up? Oh, uh, not too bad. Like, two link is quite a lot and enables, of course, a sort of slower strategy with underworld contact as, lo- as in addition to basically blanking most of your opponent's traces from the beginning. And 50 isn't that much different from 45, but is exacerbated by her small card pool already. Yes, and in fact you have to make that 25 influence stretch even further. Okay, so the first sunny card is security chip. It's hardware, chip, install zero, influence one. You can trash it to choose an icebreaker or any number of cloud icebreakers. Each chosen icebreaker has plus one strength for each link you have for the remainder of this run. Use this ability only during a run. 
Uh, so this is, I want to say it's actually an economy card because if you're playing it with Sunny's Breakers, which we'll talk about in a moment, it uh, can pump all of them uh, and they're all, you know, uh, it's all pumping them by two strength, which saves you maybe six credit. Yeah, I actually really don't like this card. No. You don't? Um, Why is that? It's really not very versatile in economy. Is it better than Easy Mark? Most of the time not, except for the fact that a strength is worth two credits to you nominally because your icebreakers all take two to pump. But also you can pump up to three of your icebreakers if you're playing Sunny's ones, right? Uh, hold on a minute. Because you can... Any number of cloud icebreakers. So it could be essentially six credits is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, but how often do you use all of your icebreakers in a single, like... Uh, that's true, I suppose, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I mean, even on that equation... quite expensive... How is your economy that doesn't install them going to help you make runs when they're not in play? Yeah, w- one of the biggest problems, you're absolutely right, Shizzy. Like, especially when you're splashing multi-threaders and you do have those recurring credits once you've got them in play, one of the biggest barriers is actually being able to have them all down quickly enough to face check safely. Um, and Security Chip doesn't help you do that. Other economy cards that either give you cards or credits help you do that a lot more effectively than Security Chip, I think. The next card is Sunny's Console, Security Nexus. Hardware, console, and astronomical install cost of 8 credits. Influence 3. It gives you plus 1 memory and plus 1 link. Once per turn, when you encounter a piece of ice, you may force the corp to trace 5. If successful, give the runner 1 tag and end the run. If unsuccessful, the runner bypasses the currently encountered ice. So obviously that trace five, If presuming you're playing this in Sunny, uh, you've already got three link. What do we think, guys? Do we like it? I think it's really powerful. Yeah? Um, uh, so I think it's like appropriately costed, slightly on, the, uh, slightly on the safe side of the costing. But just as we were talking about with Sunny's Breakers, which will come to being quite hefty, it's very important to have a way to face check. And incidentally, this console lets you do that. Um, which sounds kind of backwards because it is more hefty than the rest. But the rest of Sunny's package uh, and and the way I think most players will end up playing her is with uh, cards like Access to Global Sec or maybe Rabbit Hole, ways to supplement that link to get best use out of Security Nexus because it is so powerful. So in those circumstances when you can make a run, uh, break it free and bypass a piece of ice after they res it and then just jack out uh, it lets you uh, continue to pressure servers or present threat on servers throughout the mid game without using programs which is relevant for the other card in faction Jack St. Clair so if you want really if people synergies. want an example of our, our long running archetype discussions about aggressive mid range and control this is a control card that does pretty a pretty similar thing to the aggressive always be running in the Adam faction. They're very similar cards. Always be running is very good early and gets a lot worse later, whereas this one is actually still really good later because it scales so well because you're always bypassing the best piece of ice they have and the one that's hardest for you to break. Um, so it's good against one ice and it's also good against four ice because by the time they've got four ice and can pay to res them, you've probably got some breakers in play as well. My concern with Sunny is the amount of money you have to invest to get her going. Particularly if you're playing her breakers and this. So the breakers are 5, 4, and 3. 3 is reasonable. 5 and 4 are quite steep. Then you've got 8 for this. Presuming you're pairing your breakers with multi-threaders because they cost so much to pump and use, that's another 9 credits if you want 3 of those. I'm just, I think Sunny can be good, but she's going to be very, 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 very slow. Uh, particularly if you're also running off a drip economy, as Shieldsy was talking about when we mentioned the ID. Um, so I'm not sure if at the moment the decks are going to be able to play this card and all her other cards and still 
find room for actual cards with the 50 deck side and the 25 influence. So far with my testing in Sunny, and, and Brian, I definitely agree with almost everything you're presenting there, with some everything with some caveats. And, and the caveat is that so far in my testing, uh, Sunny has played very similarly to Kate, um, and the way the w- the way that happens is that Sunny's security nexus performs the same role as self-modifying code in that it lets you respond to servers in the mid-game when you can actually utilize it in a way that doesn't depend on how the rest of your rig looks. And so I think that the fact that you have Security Nexus in Faction, and I I use Security Nexus um, quite proactively, and it's normally the first piece of my rig to come down, actually, uh, rather than the last piece, uh, I think alleviates a lot of the issues to do with the fact that you just need so much money to get off the ground. Because you, you when you can pre- present threat, you can get the turn back. And Sunny's economy, being in data folding and being in underworld contacts, uh, scales wonderfully with extra turns. And I, I think that, um, just to come back really briefly to security chip, uh, one of the issues that I have with it in Sunny is that she is such a long game focused control runner and security chip is not a control card because it's disposable. Uh, so next up we have Sunny's Breaker package, uh, Striker, Shrike, and Sherman. We did talk about these again in episode 54 when Jesse talked about the Sunny list you've been testing. Jesse, you just want to recap the suite? They're all very, very yeah, similar. so they all, uh, they cost five, four, and three from the Sentry Breaker most expensive down to the Barry Breaker cheapest. Um, they're all strength one. They've all got an ability, pay two credits, plus three strength and another ability pay two credits break any number of the relevant type century barrier code gate and they're also all cloud breakers so if you have at least two link which sunny always does the memory cost of them is zero mm, obviously very expensive to install and power mm, but very so, powerful which is in the sense very, that they can get through yeah. everything and the interesting thing about them is that they're better against more expensive multi-subroutine ice than against, than against or or so they're, yeah. they're classic control cards in that they're sort of, I guess, blunt instruments. They're powerful hammers, but they're really slow to use. Next card is Global Sec Security Clearance. It's a resource, virtual, install two, influence two. Install only if you have at least two link. When your turn begins, you may lose a click. If you do, look at the top card of R&D. Shilzy, is this better than Woman in the Red Dress? Uh, maybe just. Your favorite card? Maybe not. Um, she's not my favorite card. So certainly up there. I, th- I think Woman in the Red Dress holds a very unique position in the game. Not anymore. Not anymore, though. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you're, spe- you're spending a click um, to do that. That That's tough. We'll see later. You can get a click back with Jack Sinclair. Is that better than just having an essentially a, a Rachel Beckman for very little cost? Uh, I'm not sure. Being able to present threat on R&D, uh, force them to ice it up, and then circumvent their ice until exactly the time you need to run. Um, so essentially breaking ice as few times as possible uh, is certainly a very, very strong ability. Um, I think that there may be a slight, um, how to say this, conflict of interest, though. There's a point where it's kind of a number to spend a click, checking the top card of R&D, and then uh, having multi-threaders and large icebreakers and multi-access and just getting in there for effectively no credits anyway. Um, and seeing multiple cards off the top of R&D regardless. Um, so the, the turns which are under pressure from a remote, well, you won't be running R&D, but you certainly won't be spending this click to look at R&D, so the situation there is the same. The turns where you're going to in- intend to run HQ, 
just for, for value, maybe you would spend a click to look at R&D. So if you want to keep up pressure on both centrals without overpowering your multi-threaders, uh, this will help you do that a little bit, but that's a... I, th- I, mean, I think that, the card's that, obviously much better in the late game, though, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of a win-more card in my eyes, though. So I might, I might play one, um, but yeah, I think it's very much win-more. I don't, I don't really see it being win-more in the sense that it doesn't give you more benefit when you're ahead. It just gives you, like you're saying, you're trading a click every turn if you want. Like, say, you're, you're, if you're using it every turn, you're if you're choosing to use every turn, you're spending a click every turn for some information. And the benefit that it's giving you is the uh, credits that you didn't have to spend breaking the ice to get in. Yeah, to um, check, yeah, just But to break. the downside is that, the additional downside is that if you do want to check, you have to spend an extra click making the run. Uh, and I think, as Brian said, that's more valuable. The benefit you're getting is more valuable the more expensive the server is to get into because you're foregoing having to spend those credits to still get the information, but not the access. Um, And I I think that situation comes up often enough in the late game, and not only when you're ahead, certainly not, um, that it's a good card. And I think it works well with the control strategy um, because your clicks are pressured and your resources are quite pressured up until you're fully set up. Um, And at that position where it's getting later in the game and the server, you can't exert as much pressure on the corp um, because they've developed their servers a bit better, uh, but you're still not fully set up. That's the point in the game where this is really, really good. And it fills a hole in that strategy really well, I think. I I just think it's hard to reconcile um, what is traditionally like long game control decks with their R&D interfaces and this ability that will circumvent that when you have multi-threader. well, not necessarily though. In in my testing, like if you're going into a control game and you're going quite late, you, your three multi-threaders aren't going to power your entire suite to get in there. You're still going to have to spend like maybe four to six credits to get, you past to one get and on R and D. On average, three multi-threaders. Yeah. So if there's three pieces of ice so on R and D, so this if this click is saving me four to six credits because I know I'm going to hit, even if I do have an R and D interface. I'm happy to do that. That's just my, been my experience in, yeah. in testing, at least. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. L- yeah. Look, look. if it was the last card to come down in my rig, I'd be happy with it. No, I certainly don't want to install it in turn two no. or anything like that. No, you would never um, use so it. So the right? next... <laughs> yeah. The last card uh, for Sunny's faction is Jack Sinclair. It's a resource connection, install three, influence two. Reduce the cost to install Jack Sinclair by one for each link you have. So that's either one naturally with Sunny or... You know, uh, and when your turn begins, you may make a run. You cannot use programs during this run. We did talk about this quite a bit in episode 54 as well. One thing we didn't mention, though, um, was its synergy with uh, Security Nexus. So, Shieldsy, is Jackson Clear in your deck that you've been testing with Security Nexus? Yes, he is the three of. Yes, and yes. it works out well? It works out very, very well, yeah. Um, similarly to the way in Criminal, you can use security testing uh, to both generate threat on servers and economy. The fact that Jack Sinclair lets you... So let, let's say then, uh, if we were to separate security testing into two, two separate uh, two separate objects, one being the threat and one being the economy, normally that would be two clicks. So rather than being compressed into one click here, Jack Sinclair just uh, gives you the extra click to do that compression on your, on your own. Um, and the way you do that is with uh, Security Nexus because it lets you bypass ice and... Pre- present threat without having a program so yeah uh you make a run on the one i server and they probably will have to 
Res that ice will just let you in uh, once you have the Nexus, or you can make uh, runs on central servers to power a data sucker, and you probably do want a data sucker with uh, this breaker suite, so you can pr pretend to uh, break two strength ice, um, uh, four strength, uh, not four strength, two strength or five strength or nine, uh, eight strength, you know, uh, any instance of two plus three, two plus three to some number. Uh, so you probably want a data sucker as well, and Jack Sinclair can keep help you keep that data sucker alive and um, and you know charge. So yeah, I, th I think is really important throughout the mid game and the long game once you have security nexus down. Uh, the next card is Windfall. It's an event, cost zero, influence zero. Shuffle your stack, trash the top card of your stack, gain X credits where X is equal to the install cost of that card. Uh, Wolfie, how big a cojones do you have to have to play this card? Originally when I read it, I thought that it triggered off events as well, but since it doesn't, I can't imagine any sort of deck which would both A, want Windfall as its burst economy card um, over any number of other options and B also have enough programs to make it more efficient than the alternatives yeah uh, I agree it seems uh... or not programs but non-event cards <laughs> you get nothing yeah you just wasted a click <laughs> uh, so the last card for Data and Destiny the last runner card is technic Technical Writer resource install zero influence zero whenever you install a piece of hardware or a program place one credit from the bank on Technical Writer click Trash, take all credits from Technical Rider. Uh, Shilzy, we played against uh, a Technical Rider deck uh, in some of the videos we put up recently. Uh, how did you find it, playing against it? Uh, I think I described it as KD-esque Jonesies. Um, and it, it certainly was that, that case. Like It came down relatively early, and it gradually charged up much more efficiently than KD does, actually, because I didn't have to put in the click every turn. Um, and this was in a Kate list, I believe. It was a Kate Gamble for Days list. And so they just gradually built up the technical rider, and then when they trashed it, it was like they had double stim hacked. It was uh, very effective. Um, demanded a very large st strategic commitment, but was very effective. Mm. Um, I mean, so the other thing you need to look, note, look at is that it needs to be installed before you start doing all your other stuff to be at its best. Uh, well, I mean, like, at its best. But just if it got installed somewhere in the middle and it still was uh, a card, a click to install, and a click to trash to get seven or eight credits at exactly the time you need it, that's still not a bad deal. Um, so for decks that want to go long, but also want to be able to have bursty economy, um, and they want to go long because they're installing a large number of cards, you know, they, they, might, they may very well want this. Uh, be that the, uh, the supplier, slow resource decks, or um, gamble for days lists in either Kate or Noise, or, you know, just... Whatever people people love playing, you know all their stuff, which I don't understand because runners need zero. But uh, okay, guys, that was Data and Destiny. Some good cards, some fun cards, some not so good cards. Fairly standard, which uh, I'm pretty excited for this box when we finally get it. And what's the projected date? 2028 in Australia? Yeah, it gets longer every time. <laughs> Until then, uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. You can check us out every Monday. If you want to get in contact with us, you can check us uh, sh shoot us an email at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Winning Agenda or like our Facebook page, The Winning Agenda. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Take it easy.